Hi, I'm Jane Mudgett, and I'm delighted to be here on the Mental Health Download. We're here with Nick Doctor and Monica High, who are just exceptional people. They're going to talk to us about some of their own experiences and what they've observed with others when it comes to stress and burnout, and maybe a little bit about pandemic fatigue as well. So rather than me introducing you, Mona, would you just spend a minute and tell me some things about yourself? Sure, I'm happy to. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I've been a what feels like a lifelong fan of the Mental Health Association, but certainly my whole professional life have been very grateful for the presence of MHA. I am a consultant and an activist and a Tulsan. I've been here in Tulsa since 2001 when I came to go to college, and right after college, entered the sort of nonprofit space in professional social justice, so to speak. I was the deputy director of Oklahomans for Equality for a little bit, and then the inaugural director of racial justice at YWCA. Took on a few more roles there before I spent my final year as the interim director of Immigrant and Refugee Services. And then I quit my full-time job and took a sabbatical and have been consulting ever since I ended that sabbatical formally. Wow, and it's great. And you're a very active part of our community still. And what I appreciate and respect is you actually worked in two places which where I consider some of my safe spaces. The mm. YWCA is a safe space for me, as is OKQ. And so I, I feel that connection with you when, when we're involved with community activities. Nick, you've had a little different pathway when it comes to your professional life. Give us your your 30-second commercial of where you've been and how you got there. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Jane. And thanks again for having us. So I came to Tulsa in 2004, similarly for college, but was born and raised in Wyoming. And so came and went to college at TU. And I took more of the kind of public sector and government affairs routes in some of this work. So I thought at TU I was going to be focusing internationally and instead went hyper-local immediately after college, working for the city council as a council aide and their legislative point person for a couple of years. Went to the chamber where I ultimately led their government affairs team and focused on local, state, and federal policy and politics and campaigning and really the full gambit of that space. And then recently, served as the chief of community development and policy for the city of Tulsa. And so I'm actually mid-sabbatical right now. So Mana thought I should be wearing my sabbatical chic for the podcast. And so left the city in late September of 2020 and have been doing a little bit of consulting, but having some fun for the last few months as well. Yeah, I appreciate you pointing out that subtlety that you're on sabbatical, (laughs) but Mana's back to being a professional again. Uh Uh-huh. Well, you know, let's just, let's just start there. I mean, we're going to start with stress and, and burnout. Now, I suspect before we get to the sabbatical story, you just had some stress and burnout that you were dealing with. Mono, will, will you tell us, like, how did you lead up to that and how did you deal with that? Absolutely. I feel like anyone who is doing progressive work in a red state like Oklahoma is going to inevitably experience a lot of stress and that leads to burnout. I think doing that work, especially inside of the nonprofit sector, which, you know, historically kind of overworks and underpays our personnel. And we're kind of expected to keep our lights on and fuel ourselves just through Mm -hmm. our commitment to the mission. And 
I think oftentimes that, you know, chews people up and spits them out. And I certainly uh, count myself among folks who had that experience. Yeah. And how did that manifest itself on a day-to-day basis? Or was that something that was cumulative? Both, I would say. I found myself, especially toward the end of my sort of full-time work, just having a much shorter fuse. I had, I got angrier more quickly. I was less patient. I certainly needed more rest, but the rest wasn't restful. Mm-hmm. And I found myself sort of withdrawing from the spaces and the activities that replenished me, that, that made me sort of more connected with, you know, loved ones and community and things like that, which ironically would be the things that would, would help me feel better, but I just didn't have the capacity. I just didn't have the ability or the bandwidth to engage in anything beyond work. And so I would, you know, I would come home exhausted and then I would go to bed and I would dream about work and wake up stressed out about the next day. And then I would go to work and I would feel frustrated and and, you know, transparently, I was working on some really significant political issues that really came to a head. And so it was even it was even harder, you know, in the 2017 time frame. Yeah. And it sounds like that not only you knew that here because of your brain activity, but you really felt this in your body. And, and I think that's part of stress that a lot of us repress or or ignore or put aside I mean, unless it's sleep, which that affects us all acutely, but we put away these these stress signals. So it was a physical thing for you too. I mean, Nick, was your was your experience the same, or do you handle stress and burnout differently? Tell me, tell me about you. Yeah. <laughs> I handle it differently for sure. A lot of the the stress points that Mona mentioned were the same for me. And so I think looking back over the last 10 years of working, it's been uh, generally 78, 80-hour work weeks, but kind of always on and always new things that need to be done and new work that needs to be done. And that's both a blessing and a curse. Like the blessing side of that was that there was meaningful work that needed to be done and you're doing it with meaningful people. And so there was the desire to really do as much as possible and try to accomplish as much as possible as fast as possible. But it also led to an always on, never able to take a break, work always compiling sense. And so especially, I I think I've gone through maybe three different cycles of burnout and recovery in the last 10 years and like tried to work my way through each of those burnouts to varying degrees of success. So yeah, it's the way that it it very much for me, I think manifested in the same way that Bono was talking about where it was short term, it was the waking up at three o'clock in the morning, most days a week with work constant on the brain and not being able to get back to sleep late, late nights, uh, working most of the time over the weekends. And even like the moments of kind of escape or uh, like the outlets for me that gave me some rest were always made more difficult because your brain was still on during that period. And you knew that there was going to be this kind of piling up of things mm-hmm. to accomplish as soon as you got back. And so there's always that kind of sense of more to do looming in the back of your mind. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I remember distinctly on a particular vacation where I said something like, I'm going to take a full week off. And on the first couple of days, it was it was all unwinding, right? Yeah. And then I had a couple of days of really enjoyable rest and relaxation, but then it was winding back up because, oh crap, I have to go back to work. So, I mean, of let's say seven days, I had two days that were really quality, yeah. restful vacation time. I, I think that's a little bit of, of what you're sharing is that, that always having to be on call, yeah. which is, is tough. 
Yeah. Those are some of the ways that, I mean, my, so my response, and I want to mention kind of withdrawing a little bit more, my response was to instead block out those kind of long periods of time to escape and to my Wyoming upbringing led me to specifically seek out places without cell phone reception that I could go to for a week. And I'd have that same winding down where for a couple of days, I just was not able to get out of that work mindset. But not having cell phone reception forces you to be accountable to allowing that space to go. And so I'd find that I'd be, I'd have that kind of break period for three or four days. I'd be doing like hiking, something physically exerting as well to kind of take my mind off of it. And then I'd have less of a wind up at the end because I just wouldn't be able to think about it until I got cell phone reception. So the consequences were still there, but I was able to better delay them. Well, then then I would also articulate that you use for your stress management, getting out in nature, a digital detox, right? Yeah. And that you you had a chance to sort of burn off some of that energy by being physical, moving your body. And yeah. that was your Wyoming. So we also had unhealthy ways of dealing with that. Like I was drinking a lot more. The, like I found myself drinking more to like de-stress or as like my social outlets during those time periods as well, or like as a means to calm down at the end of the day. So there were definitely unhealthy ways of dealing with that as well that I've had to grapple with. Mm-hmm. How did you observe that with yourself, Mana? Was that the same? I mean, even without your Wyoming background, you know, was it to get out to nature or how did you deal with that, managing that stress? So Nick is laughing because, he, so we should actually say we're married in case that wasn't oh, yeah. clear in our, yeah. in our introduction or in our explanation about our backgrounds. So it's going to leave that to you. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like the listeners ought to know since we're referring to each other so familiarly, we often joke it's our favorite party trick to reveal that we're married to people because they, they yeah. were married to each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Nick is chuckling because I am the, the least outdoorsy person he knows I am constantly telling him that I only want to go where there is electricity and Wi-Fi and there is no reason to spend a lot of money to sleep on the ground. So I'm very, I'm very different in my approach. I'm generally not as good as Nick is at sort of self-care, so to speak, to use a kind of cliche, but just attending to my, you know, to my mental and physical sort of demands of you know, where is my body right now? And where does it need to be? Where is my head right now? So I tend to retreat a lot more into my own head. I'm, I'm, I'm much more cerebral. So I spend a lot of time just like reading fiction, you know, speculative fiction and things that really remove me mentally from the current moment. And reality. Yeah. So yeah. that you can just trans transform and transport yourself into some other story. Exactly. Yeah, that, that really makes sense. So how did you get to the point, Mana, where you said you needed a sabbatical? There are very few people that have the courage to actually do that. And, and I use that word specifically. How did you get to that point? Well, I should say that beyond courage, it really takes privilege, right? So I was tremendously lucky that I had, you know, the financial means because of a spouse who was employed full time you know, making enough to cover both of us for me not to have to be another breadwinner in the home. And that's been that, you know, we've reflected a lot on that just in the last year as well around pandemic and, you know, being child free and, and living, you know, a very financially stable life has just been really tremendous for us. The reason I really ultimately decided on a sabbatical was because when I was winding down my interim position at YDub and I knew that, you know, that had always intended to be short term as interim positions are, 
as I tried to even picture in my head what was next for me, all I saw was noise or like blankness. Like I couldn't even get my head in a place to contemplate what my what a next step might be. Partially because I'd been at YWC for nine years, which frankly for a millennial is like 87 dog years, right? A lifetime. It's a lifetime. A lifetime. <laughs> right. By the time I left, I think I was like, you know, one of the, you know, top five tenured people at the organization, certainly on the leadership team, the longest running by a long period of time. And so just imagining my life outside of an organization that had come to be so integral to my identity and my, you know, my community work was just really hard. And so I realized in that moment that like, I'm not even in a place to, to make a jump to something next. And if I do make a professional decision right now, it won't be a good one, right? I will be making it out of desperation or I will be making it out of just, you know, resignation or all these kinds of things that are not how you want to decide your career path. I also knew that, you know, it is a Sisyphean task to try and work on progressive issues in Oklahoma, right? You're just always pushing that boulder up the hill. And I, you know, toward the end was really starting to feel that boulder kind of come back on me. Right. And I think I was trying to listen to myself when I spoke to other people about no one's going to take care of us, but us, right. No one is going to replenish us. No one is going to fuel us. No one is going to heal us, but us, right. Because we're working inside a system that's designed to grind us down. And I say those things to other people and I tried to listen to it myself. And I said, you know, I think I need to take a minute, which was a really interesting moment in our marriage because Nick is definitely more of a subscriber to sort of grind culture and that sense of, you know, industrious American work ethic. Lana's being very kind. I had that puritanical mindset and you were supposed to work until you die. So it was three months of hard lobbying on Mana's part to get me to like, I think, understand and see the value of a sabbatical and just that that was a, that was an acceptable thing to do as an adult. So I was, I was deeply skeptical, I think, in the beginning parts of that conversation. But I think in talking with Mana and reading more about it and look and talking to a few other people who had had that privilege to be able to take that as well. It was clear that there were some like one that I'd, I'd been seeing the pressures building up on Mana over the years before that. And so it became clear that that was something that would be really beneficial for her. But it was also something that from everything that I've been able to look into and that I talked to the people like it was a really it was a rewarding period where they were able to reflect back and be more strategic about a next step, which is exactly mm-hmm. what I was hoping for. And so, yeah, now that we're kind of at the end of that issue, jumping back into the professional space, it's been wonderful to watch that process play out. Well, and, and now we know she's been a good role model, but we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah. a little bit. But, you know, what I do appreciate is that you actually took the time, Nick, to listen and absorb. And Mana, you were successful in changing his way of thinking. And then he got to observe that in action. It also means that you have to invest some personal time. Can we do this financially? Mm -hmm. What does this mean for our physical space? What does this mean sort of for our personal space? There's risk of depression and concern, particularly if we are ones to retreat in ourselves. Sometimes you can retreat so much you don't realize you're not letting anyone else in, right? So there's this fulcrum of balance when you make these big life decisions. And in your case, that it had an impact on somebody else. Absolutely. So how long of a sabbatical did you take? Formally, I did literally nothing for six months. So I left my job in July. And then my first sort of 
okay, I will, you know, try something out was I think in December where I went to help a friend at a conference. Mm-hmm. And then it was, and then I kind of slow played it. So I was part-time, I would take on projects sort of as they came to me because I never wanted to be a consultant. That was actually, you know, the, the, the laughable part of all of this is that as I was leaving my job, everyone said, so you're going to go into consulting. And I just kept saying, no, absolutely not. I have no interest in that. There's no way. And then, you know, the universe laughed and sent me clients and I ended up accidentally becoming a consultant. But it was about six months of literally just like sleeping in and visiting friends and doing absolutely nothing um, other than just, I think, cooking more and, you know, enjoying time cuddling my dog. Nesting. Nesting. Yeah. But what was important to me, you know, you mentioned earlier, there's risks involved. I think that's absolutely right. And there's certainly things I would do differently in hindsight. But there are a few things that I did that I that I would really encourage other people to think about. One was really taking that that media fast. So I deactivated my Facebook for 18 months. And it was one of the best things I've ever done for my mental health. I unsubscribed from all the newsletters that I was always getting in my inbox. I'm a huge news junkie. So I dialed down my news consumption to a tiny fraction of what it was. And I just really tried to spend, you know, active time on things that, that made me feel connected to the world in better ways. So social media can have a really negative impact because of the amount of stimuli, but Sometimes we just have to change the station, right? And we go to a different kind of social media that feeds us in different ways. So I, I, that that totally makes sense. I just want to say on a personal level, when you left, I was so proud of you. And I never said it for taking a sabbatical. It's like it because I thought that it really did take courage. And conversely, I was really anxious and upset because you were one of my role models when it came to progressive thinking. And when it came to things like diversity, equity and inclusion and fairness and like where if you were gone, who was going to be my North Star? Oh my gosh, that's very gratifying to hear. And Thank so you. that was tough for me personally because there are not that many role models in our community as strong as you are with not only your beliefs, which I don't always agree with, but at least you have the confidence to share them and to have a discussion about them. So I, I just wanted to put that on the table. That's um, very gratifying to hear. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, she's pretty wonderful. Yeah, I I agree. And so you just really just took six months off going back to the sabbatical and then you you decided to slow play it back in. And and I think it sounds like organically what you became was the world was becoming you and you you went with the flow. So all of a sudden you got some clients and went with that and, and followed that path. Was that a structured process for you at all? <laughs> Was it just really fluid? It was very fluid. Organic is exactly the right word. Okay. Kind of, you know, I would receive requests from folks who would have, you know, normally turned to me when I was employed full time to do something. And they would say, I know you're not doing this, but who is? And at the time, I think we had, you know, more of a dearth of other uh, folks who could fill in that space. I'm very uh, grateful to say that Tulsa is growing lots of new talent and we have, you know, 
much uh, more leadership in that space than we used to. And that's incredibly encouraging for me as someone who's been working on social justice in Tulsa for two decades mm-hmm. uh, to see to see how much leadership there is now compared to even just a few right. years ago. Right. But it was, no, it was not structured at all. In fact, it's still not very structured. I joke that, you know, I, 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 I don't have a rate sheet. I don't have a list of services. You know, I don't have an LLC. I didn't do any of the things you're supposed to do when you want to start a consulting business. I literally just started consulting and have been fortunate to be able to, to pick and choose the projects that fuel me. You know, one of the nice things about being autonomous is that I am not accountable to anyone but myself and obviously yeah. my family, but yeah. I don't have to take on a project because it makes the organization look bad if I don't, or it would upset a donor or, you know, it's a board member's friend or all of those things that you do when you're inside an institution. And you can pick and choose the project as well. So that's really an additive that you can not only have that ultimate flexibility, but if there's a project that doesn't particularly seem interesting and give you passion, you can refer to somebody else or you can say no. And that's what's really nice. And I really, for the first several, I would say for at least the first two years and some change, really prioritized loved ones and family and caretaking and things like that. So it was really lovely to be able to say, it is more important to me to be able to help my niece plan her wedding or go and hold my friend's newborn twins or take my friend to a, you know, a surgical appointment and be their aftercare person. Those were things that were important to me. And they were, I was able to prioritize those over work and other things. And because ultimately those are the things that matter in life. Yeah. Is that the first time you had the opportunity to, to do that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've never had that kind of autonomy to be able to, you know, be, have the flexibility to say, yes, call on me. I, I want to be your first phone call when you need something. And that means a lot to me. I really like to be needed. Uh, it's really meaningful in my life to feel like the people in my life can count on me for things. Yeah. Wow. And congratulations. That, that's a real gift that came out of that, a real gift. Now, I, I suspect from some of the glances that your path was totally different, Nick, where <laughs> you decided that you're going to take a sabbatical, dot, dot, dot. What, how did that happen for you? <laughs> I mean, most of just the concept of me taking a sabbatical grew from watching how beneficial the time was for Mana and the ways in which she was both able to like intentionally or organically position herself to be really like focused, mindful, strategic, and just like more present in a really like optimistic way, in a way that I hadn't seen previously. Mm-hmm. And so once she was coming back into the professional world, we started talking more of like, as I, was, I think I was going through one of my cycles of burnout at the time of like, when you leave this current role, doing a sabbatical is something that you should do as well. And so we kind of knew that was was coming and had been planning for that for a while. But my sabbatical time has been you know, radically different. Mana was rightfully worried about me jumping back into things too quickly and not actually taking a sabbatical. So she made me promise that I wouldn't take on a work projects for three months. And I failed at that for the most part. So and mine, uh, it wasn't 
structured, but I, I certainly emphasized, I think probably three things that gave me the greatest amount of joy during those first couple of months. And one of those was running to every bit of nature that I had been missing out on for the last 10 years. So went to Wyoming for a week and a half and spent time outside with my father, went and climbed four 14ers in Colorado because I could. And so went and spent some time doing that. I went to Big Bend now twice, Buffalo River, Wichita Mountains, all kinds of places in between. I really prioritize the getting outside, the being able to be physically active. This also maybe touches on your pandemic fatigue components, but especially being like within one building, your home for, for such a long period of time, the outdoors has become the safe place to escape. And so it's always really been that place of comfort for me. But part of the things I've enjoyed most during uh, the last few months is all of my friends who are wanting to go outside for the first time and or go backpacking for the first time and haven't done that before, I now have the time and the freedom and the ability to take them out for the first time yeah. uh, and get to like expose them and share with them this place that's been that place of comfort for me. So getting outside as much as possible was one of those things. Second was a ton of home improvements. And so we probably like most people have been sitting inside your house and you just developed this massive to-do list of things you want to fix. And so I had a couple of months to do that. So Mana was grateful for the times that I would leave to go outside because it meant our Home Depot bill was less. Ah, <laughs> there was a direct correlation between Nick being on a trip at Big Bend or in Wyoming and uh, home improvement ex- ex- expenses. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You, uh, I mean, you do have to be yeah. sensitive to that too because all of a sudden you've got one income. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had done a whole budget. You know, as Nick said, we had anticipated his, you know, some form of sabbatical at some point. And so we, you know, I had ramped up my work so that our income could sort of like phase in and out together. And I had the budget and I said, we can do this. And then suddenly his Home Depot habit started. And I said, I did not account (laughs) for three trips to the hardware store a week. We need to readjust our expectations. Right. Yeah, I remember at one point in my marriage suggesting to my husband that he get a part time job at Home Depot so we could get the employee discount. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that to you. you that would have been well, well. <laughs> The third one mirrors, I think, a lot of what Mana mentioned with reconnecting with friends and family. It's been really tough during a pandemic to do that. But for me, I found like especially just because of the nature of my work, I think, where it was interconnected in a lot of ways with our community. And there was always something that needed to be done. And I was fortunate to be in a position to do a lot of that work. But a lot of like all of my a number of my friendships, just about all of them that I can think of were always interlaced with work things. And so there was always an agenda of items we needed to talk about or things we needed to work on or problems we needed to solve. That was always a part of our social gatherings as well. And so it's been really it's been a lot of fun in the last few months to have those like to reconnect just on a pure friendship basis without uh, like the transactional component of it or the other elements that come in when you like need to do work related stuff with it as well. And so those trips outside, the getting coffee outdoors, doing Zoom calls on a regular basis, those kinds of things have been really wonderful to reconnect just as individuals without an agenda or topics that we need to address at the same time. So that's been a wonderful third bucket. You know, Jane, I remember several years ago, at least a decade ago, watching a TED Talk by someone who owned a design firm of some kind. And they had a company-wide sabbatical policy where they would work for seven years and they would actually shut down for a year. No one worked for a whole year. And he said, all of the creativity that we generated in the seven years was fueled by that one year off that we all took. And I just remember thinking, that's what we need. We need space. 
right? And I think, you know, Nick is a really good example of this, right? He has been talking about this idea of making the outdoors more accessible to people for years and years and years. And then through the sabbatical, he's actually had a chance to, to try that out. And it's grown into a thing. <laughs> it's been fun. So now he actually has like a website and he's actually trying to like formalize that sort of outdoor accessibility for people who, you know, are more like me, (laughs) who would never, you know, go into, you know, an academy and know where to start or know how to even equip myself to go outside. and, And I would never even spend the money. But I think, you know, giving yourself mental space to think about the, all of those things on your, you know, maybe someday list is actually a really lovely way to figure out how many of those are sticky and how many of them are feasible. Yeah. 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 I really feel strongly that, that the noise is so distracting that you need to get to some, some space, as you said, Mana, before you can launch creativity and innovation and so forth. So I like that. Nick, you were going to say something. Excuse oh, me. It's just been fun to be like those. That's like, that will probably forever be like a fun little side hobby, but it's been wonderful to have this space to allow for the side hobby to grow a little bit while also being able to be strategic about like what the next meaningful step in the work that I care about looks like too. So the sabbatical is allowed space for both of those to exist where previously it was just the professional. Mm-hmm. So now we have tents and power tools to add to your resume. Yeah. (laughs) And you have bear spray too, I'm sure in there somewhere. (laughs) You're you're a good Wyoming guy. You got to have bear spray. We have bear spray in our bedroom as our primary self-defense mechanism. That's been for our whole time together. That's been, you know, there you go. And you've got one of those big bear jars too, for your food. I'm sure that you have to carry in the pack. Yeah. I'm with you. So Have you had any, coming back around to another way of thinking, have you found that you have had any mental health challenges in the sabbatical itself or, you know, where were you on the continuum? Did it, did, did you give yourself permission to get down and get some help if you needed it? Or did you find that it was more recharging and provided energy? Where, where were you on that? Well, I, I have lived with with mental illness my whole life. I've had uh, clinical depression since I was in middle school and have been in and out of therapy and have taken, you know, antidepressant medication and all of those things for a long time. I think there's a, a, a you know, the phenomenon of being a minoritized person in an oppressive world is, is depression generating, is trauma generating. And then being a, as, as a, as a um, mutual friend of ours, Jane Justice Wadener-Smith, who was my first supervisor out of college, said, you know, being an, a professional oppressed person also brings with it a tremendous amount of pressure and trauma. Yeah. Um, so, you know, interestingly enough, taking the sabbatical, while in some ways was a release valve on some of those things, in other ways sort of amplified them, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I constantly grapple with sort of immobilizing imposter syndrome and feelings of inadequacy. And it's difficult when you are, um, when you don't have sort of feedback loops through work to like reinforce you and affirm you and tell you you're, you're doing okay and that you're, and that you're valuable, right? Because we so attach our worth to our productivity. Right. And so there's definitely that sort of risk of but, but what do I even mean in the world, right? If I'm not producing, if I'm not, you know, contributing in, you know, this capitalistic kind of way to society. And so for sure, I definitely struggled with that 
I tried a couple times to go into therapy. I will say that as a, as a big mental health advocate, one of the things I really often am frustrated by in Oklahoma is the dearth of culturally competent counselors and therapists. This is, this is something that I really think we need to do a better job of because I, I attempted a couple times and had some really you know, negative experiences. I, I remember the first, <laughs> the first appointment I had with a new therapist that was just assigned to me through insurance. His very first question to me before anything else was, what is your ethnicity? And I just thought, wow, okay, yeah. this is where we're starting. You know, and I reflected back on the you know, professional development training I used to provide to mental health practitioners about how to broach race in a clinical setting. And it's a microaggression. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so yeah, it's difficult. It's really difficult when you're, when you're trying to get the help that you need in a context where that help isn't designed for you. Right. So I just want to digress for a moment and say that I think it's so important for companies now to focus on the kind of services they have from healthcare for mental health and employee assistance programs, because this is not unique with just Mm -hmm. Mana and Nick and me as well. We're seeing a lot of that, a tremendous amount of volume of need. Mm -hmm. And, and if you are experiencing that in the Oklahoma area, remember, we have a resource of calling 211 for counseling services that you might need. And I'm going to bring that up again. So I, I just wanted to, to share that. So thank you so much, because that's a really very personal story. And there are many things that I can relate to having gotten to a juncture in the last year where I I needed to tap into a therapist that every now and then I I just, as I say, I need a fix. I need a couple Mm -hmm. of sessions and a fix because I can't see the forest through the trees Mm -hmm. and a good facilitator for that. Nick, did you have a, did you have a different experience? And and did it impact you at all or a lot? Yeah. I mean, I think I had an easier process just because of the kind of privilege that I have as a white guy. And so as a straight white male, there are a lot of like those systems of oppression that Mona was mentioning were things that I had to grapple with. And I think this is actually a, a this is a flaw on my part. My, my kind of like Ron Swanson upbringing from Wyoming leads me to not seek out help when I need it and be more kind of closed off with when I have like moments of weakness or when I need assistance. And so I haven't sought out therapy in moments where I probably should have. I'm going to probably, I've been, I know I've been guilty of putting more of that burden on Mon over that period of time. For me, I think the, the loss of, I, I think I struggle with it in two ways. It's tough to go from kind of working full-time plus on things to nothing. And so like finding out how to fill that time was something I was lucky to have a couple of hobbies to jump into, but I couldn't see being a lot more difficult. I also was very guilty, I think, of defining both my self-worth, but also my identity by the work that I did and the institutions that I worked for and the, and the like the the programs, the policies, the, the principles and the values that I worked for. And so knowing how to like reflect upon that self-worth and define that again in the absence of kind of really structured way of doing that and the professional side of things was tricky as well. And I think like from my side, I was also had this kind of fear about what would come next, like without being in that space, like was there 
like, was I valued in the Tulsa community? Were there, would there be opportunities on the back end of this? Spoiler, the answer is yes. A resounding yes. Well, I, I was going to well, do the spoiler. Good for you, Mana. But, well, no, but I, but I say, and I'm specifically speaking to, to Nick's value in this community, right? The outpouring, the deluge of support that Nick got upon separating from his last job was so phenomenal yeah. that, I mean, we're both just so humbled by it. So yeah. I, I, I say that's a really important part that I want to lift up. Yeah. You know, we have a love-hate relationship with our own community sometime, don't we? Right? Yeah. yeah, it was, I mean, so that was, I mean, it, it's still, I think, something that comes in and out of waves. I don't know that anybody, like, that, because we are generally as a society, something, like, one that expresses value and identity through the work that you do, like, one of the most frequent conversations first up in networking is, so what do you do, what do you work for, those kinds of things. When you're not doing that professionally, like, having an answer to that and feeling confident in that answer is a tricky thing. I've been, as Mata mentioned, just really fortunate that and I think this is one of the things that like continues to keep both of us here in Tulsa is that there was this wonderful reminder at the back end of that and really throughout the process of the wonderful community that's here in Tulsa and the way that that community rallies frequently to lift up its members. And so we've been really privileged with that throughout both of our sabbaticals, I think. Yeah. It's interesting that you say the love-hate relationship, Jane, because I remember thinking right after I started my sabbatical what is this emotional process that I'm having? I'm having an emotional process. I don't have language for it. I don't know what to call it. I just know it's really hard. And it wasn't until six months in, actually at that conference that I went to help a friend with that I heard an idol of mine, Adrienne Marie Brown speaking. And I can't even tell you what she said, but I remember something she said unlocked something, you know, in my head and my heart. And I said, oh, I'm going through a divorce. Like that's what this emotional feeling is I felt like I was, I had just gone through a divorce with my own community, right? That's, that was the emotional process that I was going through that I didn't have language for because I've never been through, you know, a big breakup or a divorce or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, but I think we, I think it's important to name those emotional dynamics show up even in, you know, separating from a job or from a company or, or things like that. Right. Right. And you knew you were carrying a bag that you had this load. You just didn't know how to label it. And mm-hmm. therefore, you didn't know how to process it mm-hmm. because it was just a heavy bag. Mm-hmm. Well, I think those stories that you've told of your personal journey are really helpful for many other people because it created the stir of emotions that you didn't expect. And it gave you quiet mm-hmm. somewhere in there that led to some new thinking and creativity and innovation And you were willing to say that in this change, it was okay not to know what the outcome would be. And so as we wrap up, I want to ask you, how did you have that confidence to know it was okay not to know the end product? Because many people get anxious about that. Oh, I still know that I have the confidence for it. I mean, I think the key pieces for me, at least, I can't express enough like how much of a security and comfort blanket Mana has been throughout that entire process. And so knowing that there wasn't like this financial hardship that that would put both of us into and being able to plan for that on, for both of our sabbaticals and the luck, like the luck and the privilege that we have for that, knowing that there was someone that even in those dark moments that I could talk to and could lean on for support, someone that would begrudgingly support my Home Depot habit and be okay with me going off and gallivanting around Wyoming for a week and a half. 
that's been critical. I found that like the friendships, the people that I worked with that have now morphed into these just really genuine, meaningful friendships has been incredibly valuable as well. And while I still like don't know what the end result of this sabbatical is going to be, there have been a couple of really fun conversations that have come up during this that may lead to something uh, more permanent long-term and that sense of possibility. Yeah, I, yeah. I think in, the, in those harder moments, the clinging to the, the optimistic side of that, like the possibility that comes of being able to choose that next path strategically in a way that you rarely get the opportunity to has been a real bright spot too. And I would just chime in based on my experiences that unless you take the time to do that quiet kind of work, you're not necessarily open to all those possibilities. And if you had tried to go in the job market right away, Nick, you also would have ignored or those possibilities wouldn't have opened up. So it's interesting Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dynamics, isn't there? It really yeah. is. Emotionally, emotional dynamics, professional dynamics, and with your own marriage, too. And to me, that's fascinating. Yeah. There are a couple of things that I want to share with folks. Be observant. If you're feeling angst and stress, you know, pay attention to what your body is saying to you. And, and Mana alluded to that. Make sure you get moving. Uh, You know, we've got a great example with Nick, getting moving, being outdoors. If you need to talk to your doctor, talk to a therapist so that you can get some help as you're trying to manage stress. Uh, If you don't have a relaxing activity or hobby, experiment. Try a few things that you've always wanted to do and see if they bring you joy and, and help give you calm. And one of the things that I'll chime in just because it's important to me is the idea of health and well-being and not only just moving, but eating well, getting some rest. All those things are so important for your health and, and also in managing stress. So let's shift to a wrap up, Nick and Mana. And we've asked you to think about like one last little bit of wisdom that you'd like to share regarding stress or burnout or regarding pandemic fatigue or your own sabbatical. Any last items, Mana, why don't you start? I think what ultimately my sabbatical was about was giving myself permission to know what my own limits are and set boundaries. And for me, one of the things that came out of this this process for me was being uncompromising about my values. Ultimately, there is no job, there is no project, there is no opportunity that is going to be outweighed by me standing strong in my integrity and in my values. Mm -hmm. And that is something that anytime I feel like I'm misaligned with or I'm running afoul of, that's a gut check for me. And so I, I, wanna, I want to encourage other people to get really clear on what their values are and try as much as they are able to, to give themselves permission to stay aligned, mm-hmm. even if that means making a jump. Mm-hmm. And your dignity really comes from within. Your, your, your core integrity and your values comes with, from within. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nick, how about your, your bit of wisdom to help us to yeah. share? Knew we shouldn't have let Mana go first. (laughs) It's hard to top her, or is that what you're thinking? Always a hard act to follow. Yeah. I mean, I think the the piece for me, and this is, I think, the the value that I've seen in both Mana's in my time, is that time to step back and be intentional and strategic about some of the bigger decisions. I know that historically, I've been guilty of being opportunistic as opposed to strategic in some of those bigger decisions. And so... 
even outside of like the incredible privilege that we had to be able to take these more extensive times off, finding those opportunities to give yourself that strategic space, whether that's going away for a week somewhere without cell phone reception, without distractions, taking a social media uh, diet or cleanse or whatever that needs to look like, cutting back on news. Yeah, it's increasingly difficult to find that time to just be alone with your thoughts and be allow yourself to be creative and intentional. And so finding ways to do that has been has been really valuable throughout our period and certainly one of the bigger highlights of our sabbaticals. Wow, excellent. And and it sounds like and and we can actually see it in your face that the positive experience has been in spite of the ups and downs and the learning and what have you and I really appreciate you sharing your story with us because I think that it can it can help many people in our community and, and elsewhere. And so that's a wrap for our mental health download with Monica High and Nick Doctor. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks so much, Jane.